Wonderful singing, wonderful, great hymn of the faith. Thank you, Emily and Jake, for your music ministry again this morning. John chapter number 8. I do want to say a word of thanks again for, uh, to the church family for uh, some extra giving. I know this month we had the Fuller family, or in the last couple months we've had the Fuller family and also the Wagners. Thank you for giving. Uh, our missions program uh, helped with uh, honorariums, and we had some money budgeted for uh, guest speakers. And so we've been able to be a blessing to uh, the Fullers and to the Wagners, and I know to uh, Joey, and uh, also helping with uh, Carlos Rubio. Uh-oh, am I off? Oh, no. Interesting. Because it's showing that it's on. Got it? Okay, all right. Okay, all right. A little technical difficulty there. That's all right. So anyway, I wanted to say thank you again to the church family for the extra giving and for being able to be a blessing to uh, these different families. And uh, it was a, a great week last week. We were able to be encouraged from uh, Brother Caleb Wagner and uh, see his ministry. And we're looking forward to uh, doing more for our missionaries in the days and months to come. John chapter number 8. John chapter number 8. This is a passage of scripture that is once again going to bring us to confrontation between Christ and the religious leaders. The Pharisees specifically mentioned here. We know again that there's this group, the Jews, that are united in their opposition to Jesus Christ. And I know this is a, a reoccurring theme and, and, and obviously God by his inspiration and the preservation of his word, he, he wants us to see this frequent confrontation and how eventually that leads to Christ willingly giving himself in, for us, in, in sacrifice for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins. And we see this building over and over in these chapters. And we see this intense opposition to Christ and yet we see Christ responding with such meekness and with boldness and with the gospel and with truth and revelation of himself. It's, it's really humbling in, in studying and in going through these passages because I, I find myself not always responding in, the Christ in, in a Christ-like way to negativity and to opposition and to resistance. I find myself sometimes, and, 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 and occasionally, I'll excuse it as you know righteous indignation, and yet sometimes or indignation, right, righteous indignation, or or a righteous anger. But too often, I find myself actually being more fleshly than spiritual in, in, in my uh, in my anger and, and being upset with the negativity and the opposition. And we are in a culture today that is putting pressure on us from outside and then sadly even sometimes from within the church as there are denominations literally right now that in the last couple of months or last couple of years, major denominations that are splitting or that are in major controversy because of sin or the lack of biblical treatment of sin or because of the endorsement of sin or doctrinal capitulation, error. And it is a, a real challenging day, but God has called us to this day. God has called us to this place and this time 
to be a light, to be a salt, and to continue to proclaim the truth of God's word and to share the gospel and to disciple this generation for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in John 8, we see there in verse number 12, Jesus spake again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. This is the second I am statement. He has already said, I am the bread of life. Now we see a second of seven I am statements. There have been a couple of other occasions where Jesus spoke the words I am in understanding the grammatical structure of the language. Jesus was referring to himself as the I am. But specifically, we see a second I am statement where he uses an analogy. We see here, I am the light of the world. So we see, first of all, this morning, there is only one true light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He doesn't say, I am a light. He says, I am the light. 1 John 1, in verse number 5, this then is the message that we have heard, which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. We see this in Scripture quite often, the analogy of light versus darkness. Light being representative of good, of righteousness, of holiness and purity, and darkness being representative of sin, of evil, of error. In, in the context of this passage, the Feast of Tabernacles had just been celebrated. Just recently, it had come to an end, and we had the event that we looked at last week of the woman caught in adultery, and we're now just a short time removed from the conclusion of this Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus is still there in the temple, coming daily and teaching and preaching the Word of God. They interrupted him last week, as we talked about, and they brought the woman caught in adultery, and we dealt with that. And Jesus, in verse 11, said, Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Well, now he's still there in the temple, and he is continuing to teach and to preach the Word of God, and they continue to listen to him teach. They continue to listen to him proclaim the truth. And having just come out of that Feast of Tabernacles, in their mind, they would probably still be remembering the ceremonies at the end of that feast, which included not only a water ceremony, but also a ceremony of lights. So with that background, with the conclusion of the Feast of Tabernacles just a day or two before, Jesus now proclaims that I am the light of the world. And in their mind, they're probably even thinking of that ceremony that just took place just a short time before. And Jesus is proclaiming himself as the light of the entire world. This is a bold claim. This is a claim of deity, that he is the one true light for the entire world. And that speaks to the fact that the entire world is exposed to the light of Jesus Christ to some degree or another. This speaks to the love of God for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
So we have talked about this in here before. I've mentioned already that there are three areas that every person minimally is exposed to Jesus Christ, to God, to the gospel. First of all, in creation. Every person is exposed to creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament showeth his handiwork. Every person sees creation and has a taste of God, sees the lights in some way, to some degree, through creation. There are some who are scientists who study creation for their careers, for their lives, for their academics. And yet many of them still reject that obvious light where God is clearly the creator. And they refuse to recognize. As I mentioned in the Sunday School Hour, I think it's the, the web telescope that's been making headlines in the news recently. And some of the pictures are just unbelievable. The galaxies and the stars and, and all the, the constellations that, that, that God created. And, and, and we go back to Genesis, Genesis 1, the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. They were created by his word those thousands of years ago. And they've been there giving glory to God. And man is just now with this web telescope, which apparently is now even more powerful and has gone further into space than, I guess, the Hubble telescope, and is sending back pictures. And for us as believers, we are declaring the glory of God, seeing his creation and giving him glory. And as I mentioned this morning in Sunday school, someone posted somewhere, look at what we've done as they see the pictures of these stars and these galaxies and these constellations. How foolish for man to see a picture of space with all of the glories of space and to act like somehow man did that. God was the one who gave man the ability even to build that telescope to send it to understand the laws of space and time and physics and all of that that God had put in order for man to even be able to recognize to be able to send that telescope and then the audacity of someone to say or to somehow give man credit for that. Unbelievable, the stubbornness and the blindness of man's heart sometimes. But we see God in creation. We see the lights in creation. I've mentioned in, in here before also about conscience. That God has written the law of God on the heart of every man in conscience. Another measure of light that God has given to every man. I'm thankful for conscience. We spoke a little bit about this last week. How their consciences were pricked as Jesus silently wrote on the ground. And those accusers walked away. Their conscience was pricked because there was enough biblical law of God, enough biblical education on their conscience, written on their heart, that they recognized the error of their way and they walked away and refused to continue in their accusations. But every man is responsible before God because he's been given a conscience and the law of God is written on man's heart, we read in the book of Romans. A second way in which we have a taste of God in a general revelation kind of way, I, I often refer to it as conscience, or, or excuse me, conscious or consciousness. The soul. There's an eternal part of man. There is, in a sense, a God-shaped hole in every person. 
It can only be filled with God himself, with knowledge of God through saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There is an eternal aspect of man that is in his soul, in his inner being, that comes out in the fact that everywhere from all time in every civilization throughout history, there has been religious activity. You can go to archaeological digs all around the world and they find temples, they find ziggurats, they find some religious worship. You can go to some of the most primitive tribes around the world and they all have some sort of religious activity that speaks to the eternity that God has put in the heart of man. That's part of the light of the world that Jesus Christ shines now, general revelation is not enough to save. It is by specific, special revelation. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So a person doesn't get saved just by acknowledging creation, or acknowledging the conscience, or acknowledging that they have a, an eternal soul, a religious activity. They need the special revelation of a of the truth of the gospel that Jesus came and died on the cross for the sins of man and they have to make that personal each and every one of us individually has to make that decision regarding Jesus Christ we respond to the general revelation and many people do there's enough taste of God in general revelation to make every person responsible but we also must have the special revelation of the truth of the gospel that we are sinners and we must humble ourselves before a holy God and repent of our sin and place our faith and trust in Christ and his finished work on the cross and take his life that he shed that he gave and by faith and repentance of our sin putting our faith and trust in Christ and him alone for our salvation that is how a person is born again there are some out there even some religious leaders who have said well you know if they're out there in some tribe out in some desert area some rainforest and they never hear about Jesus Christ they can still get saved just by having some general knowledge of God and there are some religions that teach that those people will actually get a second chance somewhere in future judgments but the Bible teaches clearly that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. We're thankful for the general revelation. Jesus is the light of the world. God loves the whole world. He wants all men to be saved. He wants all men everywhere to repent. But it's through the special revelation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, through repentance and faith, as a person individually repents of their sin and places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that they are saved their sins are forgiven, that they can then have a personal relationship with God and spend eternity with him in heaven. So everyone is exposed to the light to some degree. Everyone has to make a decision regarding Jesus Christ. Everyone is responsible before God for how he or she responds to Jesus Christ. This is that matter of free will that comes into play concerning the gospel. So we see that there is only one true light. But we see, secondly, the one true light gives life. The one true light gives life. This is 
taking the uh, understanding of the word light. And we read there in verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We understand from just a, a, biology, a biologic or from general biology that light is necessary for life. Now, we are not plant people around our house. Our previous house in Indianapolis, the previous owners, they were very much plant and flower people. And they had flowers and plants and rose bushes and vines and you name it, it seemed like. And we, we moved in and we did the, the, the basics. And the first year we were there, we planted some flowers in the planters. Uh, we had a little uh, gazebo kind of thing. I forget what it was called out back. We planted some flowers and we managed to, for the most part, keep those alive. But when we were uh, in the house just a few months, the, the previous owner texted my wife and said, how are the plants doing? She was so concerned about her plants that she left behind the flowers. And we were just like, well, we're doing the best we can. <laughs> and, and, and now in the house that we're in, uh, there, there's, there's flowers and, and, and there's some plants. And I, I can't even remember all the names of everything. We had some huge flowers in the front right by the, the front porch and the, and the front window. Those, those things are huge. I, I'm ready to take them down. They just, they, just, they just grow and they get wet like this and they fall over. Um, we did plant some flowers. Josiah went out and I went out one evening and we got some flowers from someone and uh, we went and we planted some. But we're not green thumb kind of people. We're not big gardeners, big, big plant people. But I learned just from what little bit I know about planting and, and flowers, they have to have sun. And I learned even that there are flowers that they're, they're, they're the shade sun mix or they're the, more of the shade. So you put them in too much sun, they, they get burnt and they get dried up and they, and they die. But every plant, every flower needs light. We, we, we learn about photosynthesis in school, the necessity of photosynthesis for there to be the production of life for that plant, for fruit to be born, for flowers to, 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 to bloom. So we understand the necessity of light for life. And so the illustration, I think, is, is very obvious and very clear. Shall have the light of life, speaking to eternal life that is found in Jesus Christ and in him alone. I mention in here frequently that we live in a culture of death. We live in a culture that doesn't know what to do with death. Death is a mystery. Death is a fear. Death is portrayed as the grim reaper with the big ugly sickle and the dark costume. There's the entertainment side of death where it is just a cultural way of trying to deal with death by making it entertainment, horror movies, and all of that, violence. And then you have the multiple unending versions of Michael Myers and Freddy Krueger and the Chainsaw Guy and all those. And there's just one movie after another. And, and, and people don't know what to do with death. It's, it's, it's entertainment to try to kind of deal with it, to make light of it somehow. But then there's the culture of death that's the gothic and the dark and trying to deal with death by getting involved in, in, in the, 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 almost the spiritual darkness of it. And then we see the people who go into 
the dark places of the internet and then sometimes they end up getting so messed up that they turn to murder and to mass killings because there's never any kind of answer for death. There's no solution for it. The world often has no answers for death and what to do with it. But we know that death has lost its sting and its victory through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the light of life. And, and I must say that sometimes the greatest opportunities for declaring the gospel and for helping people is at funerals and through death. It's hard. It's difficult to walk into hospitals and, and into funeral homes. And it's difficult sometimes to, to watch a loved one go into eternity. But sometimes those are the greatest opportunities that God gives us with the gospel to point people to Jesus Christ because they don't understand that Jesus Christ is life. He's the light of life. And he gives life. Herbert Lockyer, great commentator, said this, Christ is in relation to the souls of men everywhere just as the sun is in relation to the material world. We recognize the sun every day. We see its orbit uh, uh, rising in the east, going down in the west. We, we talk about lack of sunlight or overcast skies or storms and nighttime. We know the seasons and we know the, the schedule of the day and we have less daylight hours during the winter and on and on we go. I remember being in Kenya and being near the equator and it was almost exactly 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of sun. It would vary just a little bit because we were so close to the equator. I remember going up uh, to northern Canada and it was at the time that we were up there, it was dark like 18 hours of the day. Um, and then the flip side of that, I guess, was it was light 18 or 20 hours of the day. So the, the missionaries were talking about having to pull the shades at 10 o'clock at night in order to get some sleep because of uh, the, the daylight that would be coming in at 10 o'clock at night. Incredible. We, we, we understand. We live in, the, in, in, in understanding light. It's, it, it's a part of our life. It's a part of our world. We understand. And, and yet so often we, and I know that the unsaved world, organizes its life around darkness, around avoiding the light. We organize our lives around daylight and the seasons and nighttime and daytime and, and, and we know how many horrible things happen in the night because men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I've never understood when I read reports in the newspaper or see them online and they're talking about people being up at 3 o'clock in the morning doing who knows what and then something bad happens and I say, what are you doing with alcohol and drugs at 3 o'clock in the morning? And then I read that sometimes it's teenagers. I know where my kids are at 11 o'clock at night, 12 o'clock at night, much less at 3 o'clock in the morning. Unbelievable. But we have... Christ as our light, should we not be orienting our life around Christ, his word, his people, his church? We orient our lives around lights for our daily physical living, our physical life. But do we orient our lives around the light of life, Jesus Christ? Men choose to walk in darkness and reject the light. And when they do so, they turn to their own foolishness. 
Romans 1 and verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Ephesians 4 and verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. Just a quick look at history. I enjoy history. Just a quick look at history shows us the futile attempts by man to walk in darkness, to walk away from the light of Jesus Christ. The Dark Ages, roughly 500 to 1500 A.D., roughly. The Dark Ages were years of spiritual darkness. A corrupt, powerful Roman Catholic Church oppressed the world in false teaching and ignorance of the Bible. There was a remnant, but the world, for the most part, was kept in darkness. Biblical illiteracy prevailed. And as a result, even his, history recognizes that period of time as the Dark Ages because of the biblical, the lack of biblical knowledge that also resulted in a lack of education and general knowledge and illiteracy. But the biggest concern, the biggest, the greatest problem was the spiritual illiteracy, the spiritual darkness. From there came the Enlightenment. Maybe in history you've studied the Enlightenment. People like John Locke, Immanuel Kant, Voltaire, Voltaire, who even said that in a hundred years the Bible would go out of existence. And what was it, less than 100 years, maybe 50, I forget the exact number of years, his very house was being used to print Bibles, even though Voltaire said that the Bible would be gone within 100 years. We talk about the French Revolution, the Enlightenment, and from back in 2002, the Microsoft Encarta Encyclopedia said this about the Enlightenment. The central message of Enlightenment intellectuals was that unassisted human reason, not faith or tradition, was the principal guide to politics and all human authority must be subject to a critique of reason if it were to command the respect of humanity. Particularly suspect was religious faith and superstition. Humanity was not inanely corrupt, as Catholicism taught, as the Bible taught, that all have sinned, all are sinners. Humanity was not innately corrupt, nor was the good life found only in a blissful state of otherworldly salvation. Pleasure and happiness were worthy ends of life and could be realized in this world. The encyclopedia article goes on to say this, the natural universe was not governed by the miraculous whimsy of a supernatural God. Rather, it was ruled by rational scientific laws which were accessible to human beings through the scientific method of experiment and observation. That's the Microsoft Encarta Encyclopedia of 2002 describing the Enlightenment. That's a secular, unsafe perspective. Just kind of defining and explaining the Enlightenment. But that Antichrist philosophy is still in the spirit of the world today. It still rules and prevails in various forms to this very day. 
We could talk about rationalism, modernism. We can talk about Nazism and communism and socialism and Darwinism and its social Darwinism, Marxism, and then the religious aspects of it, theological liberalism, and eventually postmodernism. And now we live in an enlightened day of expressive individualism. That's where it's come. Rejection of the lights of life, rejection of Christ, has led man to finding his own way, which is a way of darkness. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. What have been some of the social consequences of these philosophies? We can talk about world wars. We can talk about social revolution. We can talk about civil unrest, but there has been a moral chaos. There has been a spiritual desert. There has been a rejection of even biological realities. Sadly, there's even a reprobate mind that comes when man continues on this path. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So we've seen that there is only one true light and we see that the one true light gives life. But thirdly this morning, we see that the one true light reveals. Light reveals. We've all probably cleaned house. We've all probably had those dark corners. We've all probably had those places around the house that are hard to get to. They're dark. And what gets back there? The spiders and the dirt and the dust and the cobwebs and loose change. Something about those dark places of the house, especially underneath the couches and the cushions. Loose change. What do we have to do? We have to get out the light. Maybe you have a vacuum that has a light on the, the base because the manufacturer knows that that extra light helps when, when cleaning. Light has a way of revealing. We see, again, in verse 12, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We, we can see, we can infer, it's implied there, that Christ as the light, reveals the character of God. He reveals God. I'm not much of a, of a glass or, or, or a prism kind of a person, scientist. Uh, maybe Dan Clark um, has done something here with, with glass and prisms. Maybe he will uh, in the future. But a glass prism, from what I understand, will separate natural light into its component colors, six or seven of the component colors. So Christ, as the light, the one true light, reveals the many aspects of God, of his character. We, we think about this. We can, we can go to 1 Corinthians 1, in verses 23 and 24, where we read, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. 
Christ reveals who God is. We know God's love. We know his holiness, omniscience, omnipotence, mercy, grace, and truth through Christ, by Christ, and in Christ. He reveals God because he is God. He is God in the flesh. We were in John 1 several weeks ago. John 1 in verse number 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. We see God through Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is God. This was a proclamation, once again, of Christ, of his deity. The religious leaders, they understood that. The crowd that day, they understood what Christ was proclaiming. He had proclaimed before his deity and the witnesses to his deity. So Christ reveals the character of God, reveals God himself being God. But also Christ reveals the sinfulness of man. John 1, 5, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Acts 26 and verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. And then Colossians 1 and verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The rest of the passage is essentially, once again, Christ revealing the stubborn, sinful hearts of the religious leaders and those who reject him. We see in verse 13, the Pharisees therefore said unto him, thou bearest record of thyself, thy record is not true. They call him a liar. But Christ says, my record is true. I've given ample evidence of my record. There is the declaration of his deity and there's the witnesses of his deity. There's his works, his character, his boldness, his authority, the fulfillment of prophecy. Christ's record is true. Jesus answered and said to them, verse 14, Though I bear record of myself, yet my record is true, for I know whence I came and whither I go, but ye cannot tell whence I come and whither I go. Ye judge after the flesh, I judge no man. Jesus is saying you're judging by the wrong standard. We need to judge by God's standard, and I judge by God's standard. And God declares that my record is true. God is witness. The Father is witness of me. That I am his son. That I am God. The record of witnesses is true. We drop down. Verse 16. And yet if I judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I and the Father have sent me. He speaks of the witnesses, where two or three witnesses are required in the law. He once again appeals to the witness of the Father and the witness of his works, of himself. What did, we say, what, what did we see back up in, in, uh, earlier in this chapter where there were a group of people who trusted Christ? Actually, it was back in chapter 7, excuse me. That there were a group of people who trusted Christ and they said, in the midst of all this rejection, 
There was a group in verse 31 of chapter 7, and many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? They saw his miracles, and the evidence was inescapable. They came to Christ saying, No other person could do the miracles that you have done. Nicodemus, when he came to Christ by night, even he admitted no man could do and teach and preach and, and, and do everything that you're doing except he be from God. The evidence was clear. Jesus was declaring his record is true and there are witnesses. Just as the law said, two or three witnesses, Jesus actually has seven in the book of John. And then we see as we go down, verse 17, it is also written in your all, the testimony of two men is true. I am one that bear witness of myself, and the Father that sent me beareth witness of me. Verse 19, then said they unto him, where is thy father? What do they do? They try to flip it back on Jesus, and they ultimately reveal their stubborn pride and their rejection. What do they do? They go right back to man's standard. They go right back to judging by man's standard, and they go back to basically making a statement that would imply that Joseph is his father, denying his deity, denying that he is the Messiah. They ask, where is thy father? Jesus answered, you neither know me nor my father. If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also. Have you met people or have you heard people say, well, I don't know about Jesus, but I believe in God. I don't know what to think about Jesus. He was a good man. He was a good prophet. Maybe he was a moral teacher, a good religious leader. But that doesn't really matter because I believe in God. And as long as you just have this general belief in God, then everybody's going to kind of get there on their own. As long as they have this general understanding that there is a divine being, a divine presence, someone outside of me, as long as I have that general knowledge, then I'm going to make it. I'm going to be good enough. It doesn't really matter about Jesus. And again, I go back to the whole coexist sticker, bumper sticker. When you look at all those, I don't even know what all, all the symbols that are on there. But almost every single one of them, if not all of them, they reject Jesus Christ as the Bible teaches, as the Son of God, God in the flesh. And Jesus is bringing them right back to this. Ye neither know me nor my Father. If we don't know Jesus Christ, we don't know God. Jesus is saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He's going to keep coming back to this claim, keep coming back to this truth. And that's what we have to do. We have to keep bringing people back to the true light who reveals God, who reveals God's redemption plan, who reveals salvation through Christ alone, faith alone in Christ alone. Jesus is the light of the world. He's the one true light. And he gives life. And he reveals. He reveals the sinfulness of man revealed right here. The stubbornness, the sinfulness of man, but he reveals God. And we have to make that choice. Are we orienting our life? First of all, are we born again? Have we trusted Christ as our Savior? Have we turned to the light for saving grace? But as believers, are we orienting our life around the light of life? Is our life oriented, spiritually speaking, around Jesus Christ and his word and his will and his people and his church? Or is our life oriented around the world? 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. May we look to the true light and live in the light of Jesus Christ, the living word and the written word, the revelation of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these tremendous truths. Lord, you are the light of the world. Lord, we know that men choose to walk in darkness because they love the darkness. But Lord, may we be ambassadors for Christ and sharing the light of the gospel, the truth, the light of Christ. And Lord, may we orient our lives around you. Keep you first and seek first the kingdom of God and keep you preeminent. And allow your word and your truth to speak to our hearts and lives. And Lord, may we be obedient to your word, to your will. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here today who does not know you as their Savior, Lord, may today be the day of salvation. Lord, do your work in our hearts, even as we sing, as we come to the conclusion of this service this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jake's going to come and lead us in a closing stanza. If you can stand and turn in your hymnals to hymn number 22. Great is thy faithfulness, stanza number three. We'll sing together. If God is speaking to your heart, you can do business with the Lord, even as we sing. If we can help you in any way after the service, we'd be happy to do so. But Jake's going to come and lead us in stanza number three, hymn number 22, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Pardon for sin and a peace that endureth thine own dear presence to so much for being here this morning. Uh, I'll be praying and seeking the Lord's will about tonight since uh, Doug Lowry will not be able to be here tonight due to uh, illness. Uh, we may do a inspiration testimony time uh, or I may bring a, a message uh, from the Word of God with a, with a PowerPoint, but uh, I'll be giving some thought and prayer to that. But we look forward to being back tonight at five o'clock. Thank you. We have several guests. I hope that you have uh, enjoyed the services today and I uh, hope that you have been made to feel welcome. We thank you so much for being here and I hope that uh, you will return in the future as the Lord would allow and the Lord would lead. And uh, thank you for uh, the faithfulness of our church family. We're praying for the Cottermans. Appreciate your prayers for Kelly's mom. I know for many others that we're praying for. And I'm uh, going to ask uh, Nat Rumba. I know you prayed for the offering, but if you don't mind closing us in, in prayer, then we'll be dismissed today. Amen. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful afternoon. We'll see you tonight at 5 o'clock.